Ghosts are horny. Spooky. Revisiting female violence. <laughs> that could be any of these episodes. I, I hate to bring up <laughs> bugs. Once again, I have to bring up bugs. Six quick and easy steps for your common demon summoning. I accept this headcanon. Liberal propaganda. Damn cucks. This is a John Winchester hate zone. Could have had mm-hmm. Killer Optimus Prime and he had to be racist. To be fucking racist. Persqueeter. Hi and welcome to On the Road with Supernatural, the podcast where we watch and discuss Supernatural episode to episode from the beginning. I'm Jasper Graydon. I'm Jordan Graham. I'm Ben Francis, subbing in for Allie this week. And we'll be your hosts for this Monster of the Week journey through American folklore and Christian mythology. I really drew a blank on what to talk about this week. Black and white stuff. What kind of black and white movies do you like? Seemed like the obvious one. So go ahead and start with Ben. Do you have a favorite black and white movie or one that you really like right now? Yes. It's kind of hard for me because I, I've probably seen, this is going to sound really, really pretentious. So everyone just take a breath with this. I've probably seen more black and white movies than color ones. Oh my God, Ben. (laughs) For supernatural and horror, I think anyone should check out The Night of the Hunter. It has some of the best acting I've ever seen from Roger Mitchum. He's a truly creepy priest and he's preying on these children and uh the mom it's a single mother character so again like very radical in its presentation Mm -hmm. is uh there to to fight and defend him so it's actually a heroine in in this case likewise it has a lot of dreamy sequences which this episode kind of pulls in and out of it just Mm -hmm. got me thinking of it my overall favorite black and white movie is a a french film by matthew kasovitz called uh which just translates to hate and it's about uh police brutality uh, that one's a little heavier, so maybe watch Night of the Hunter first. <laughs> uh, what do you What do you think, Jordan? What, are there any black and white films that really uh, moved you or that are on your mind lately? I am so excited to talk about this black and white movie. So, Ben Francis, I know you're actually not the biggest fan of astrology. Because <laughs> no. we've had this conversation before, so feel free to cover your ears. But not really. Um, so here's the thing. A movie does not have to be good for me to like it. I just want to have fun. There you go. And when people think of, like, black and white films, they usually think, like, a lot of them are good. There's a lot of shit old movies. Oh, yeah. This one is one of, like, my all-time favorite movies. It's called When Were You Born? And it came out in 1938. And it stars the legendary gay icon... Anna May Wong. Uh-huh. If you don't know who Anna May Wong is, she was born in the early 1900s, and she was, like, one of the, probably the first Chinese-American star ever. She was a fashion icon. She usually got kind of pigeonholed, of course, into more, like, racist roles. But she was really compelling in this movie, um, even though there is a lot of, like, I don't think it aged super well, especially, like, having the Chinese-American play, like, a mystical type of character. But she is the main character, which I like. So pretty much she is an astrologer and she does like astrologies at parties and she reads people's birth charts and then gives them a reading depending on like what their birth chart is. And so she does a reading, she does a reading and actually predicts a murder that's about to happen. So then the police come to her and she's like, I'm not a psychic. Like I did not know this man. You know, the only reason I knew this murder was going to happen was because, you know, of astrology, like the, the man's chart said so and of course the police are like that's bullshit and she's like i will prove you wrong through the power of astrology and solve this murder so she has to like 
clear her name through astrology, but every character in it who is a witness has a different star sign, like a sun sign. And it's just really, it's not good. It's a dumb movie, but it's a lot of fun. So there you go. If you like astrology and bad movies and like old pulp crime, When Were You Born? It's a good one. I recommend it. Hell yeah. I've never heard of that. Probably because it was a shit movie. (laughs) (laughs) But a fun shit movie. Yeah. I mean, hey. Things that are bad can be good. Um, well, not that anybody asked or prompted me, but my favorite black and white movie is Eight and a Half, the Fellini film, because, I don't know, I'm, like, basic, I guess. <laughs> um, if you're not familiar with the plot, he's just struggling with making movies. That's, that's, like, the whole thing. I don't know, the end of the movie is what really sticks out the most to me when it just sort of devolves into... I don't know if I could really describe it super well. It's just rich people doing stuff. <laughs> but I it's, love it, but it But if they're like, they're wilding out. I don't know. It's fun. It's kooky. It's, it is funny that time. we picked the weird movies for our our choices. More than like yes. the traditional, uh, what's what's the one that's like the like the apartment or something like that? Like we're not oh. we're not drawn to like uh, Billy Wilder black and white movies. We're drawn to like the the more artistically expressive ones. Right, right, more right. Chaotic. I was really kind of worried one of us was gonna say like Clerks, and I was gonna have to send you to time out. <laughs> <laughs> I only think I've seen Clerks like once, and I was like maybe fourteen. I'm going to have to watch the anime Wong movie. I'm really curious about it. Even if I don't necessarily have an interest in astrology, I think I have an interest in her. And I know that uh, the director of Night the Hunter, um, notably bisexual and also played into why he did not get any other films after he made Night the Hunter. Like it, it, it's a very, it, it makes sense that all of us are drawn again to these kind of stories. <laughs> all right. Well, today's episode is season four, episode five, Monster Movie, the one where the boys ignore the apocalypse. This episode was written by Ben Edlund, directed by Robert Singer, and originally aired on October 16th, 2008. Mm. Yes, here we are. <laughs> Once again, Jordan, you were kind of, you were a little on the nose with your predictions. You were like... Yeah, we're going to get another one-off monster again. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> I have a lot of mixed feelings about this episode, so we'll have to get into it like as we go along. But the idea is really there. Like, This would be a really fun episode to watch on Halloween. Yes, I agree. And I think yeah. like right off the bat, sorry, I find like the old school kind of... Ben, you were mentioning like Ed Wood earlier, like that kind of yes. stuff. Really charming. Our picture, yeah. <laughs> like with the, you know, the big full moons the you know pennsylvania state sign made to look like transylvania (laughs) and all this crap like it's it's cute you know yeah i just i i feel like the black and whiteness of it is maybe not necessary at all but i still kind of like it like in the beginning when they have the line about looking forward to a straightforward black and white case i'm like ah but it's but i'm also sort of like Okay. <laughs> I think that kind of encapsulates my feelings yeah. on this episode as a whole. One thing that jumped out at me was immediately I saw the Buffy, Joss Whedon, 90s kind of UPN-ness of this episode versus the other episodes I've seen. Yeah. This seemed yeah. to be, the like you said, it, it kind of lived in that 
in that space. So I was able to forgive a lot more of its pacing as a result if I kind of viewed it as that kind of UPN pastiche kind of thing. Yeah. Even though this is a 2008 CW show. <laughs> right. Well, and I think like this one in particular, the whole thing was about how much they like horror and sci-fi genre TV. So yes. it also just felt kind of okay that it was, you know, like I'm watching this thinking about, yeah, Buffy, thinking about Ed Wood, also thinking about the black and white episode of The X-Files, Postmodern Prometheus. Yeah. So, like, you know, it's it's okay. And I think, like, they, they make so many other movie references throughout, you know, the episode as well. That it's like, I don't know. I think it's fine. They're, like, they're doing a bit. And, you know, last time we talked a lot about, like, having the freedom to experiment. I do like to see like, really kitschy episodes of TV like this. I do. Like I said, I find it charming. <laughs> I don't know. Just story elements were <laughs> problematic for me. <laughs> yeah. But I had a bit of nervousness when they walked into, like, the German beer garden. I'm like, oh, God, oh, God, oh, God. Not for the reasons I love, like, supernatural-related reasons, mm-hmm. but because it was a black-and-white episode, and I'm like, are we going to get a racist caricature. Turns out we're in the German beer garden. We didn't get any racist caricatures in the, in this case, but we got other, like you said, problematic elements, but like that, my initial, my initial fear when I like saw that setting was like, oh, are we going to do like the Krampus stuff? Is this going to oh. end up in the, in that world? Because like, if you're doing a black and white episode and you can be campy and whatnot, but, but also like more of the, I would say tired or just like outright lazy tropes can emerge in that setting more, more easily because you're pulling from the past. Right. Exactly. And I, for the first half of this episode, I was like, Oh, maybe my fears were unfounded. And then, oh, and then, <laughs> and then I, I was like, ah, oh, you got me. You got me in the first half. Yeah. Good, good job. Yeah, have me in the first half. I'm not going to lie. I'm wondering when the moment was for, for both of you when, when this episode turned for you or like when that, that kind of faded away and what was left was just rather, uh, I would say, uh, disappointing. Definitely way later. So let's let's talk about some of the stuff going on here. See if we can't keep in a little bit better order <laughs> than right, last right, time. Right. It's funny that you mentioned being really like nervous because of the Oktoberfest setting because to me – I see that, and I'm like, there's something to me that's inherently funny about Oktoberfest and, like, tuba music. So, for me, I'm already, already, like, ready to be entertained, I guess. I'm not, like, sitting on, like, you know, pins and needles, like, waiting for something to pop out and be really racist. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I would say I kind of have similar feelings about it. When I think of Oktoberfest, I think of more just, like, tubas and drunk people. I used to do Oktoberfest a lot when I was a kid in New Orleans. And for me, it's, like, warm beer, lukewarm food, (laughs) and, like, middle-aged dudes singing songs in German and line dancing together. Like, that's, that's really, and I'm like, wow. <laughs> I don't know. So, so I, I find the setting, like, a little more relaxing. I think there's a lot of stuff, like, with Dean in this episode that, like, really, like, there's so much whiplash with him in particular. Because, yes. um, like, here, I feel like, even in, even in this scene, like, I'm so charmed by, like, the big pretzel thing. I'm like, you go, sweetie, you go get that big pretzel. But then also just, like, the extremely, like, gross, like, ogling of people. 
because they got to remind us. They're like, lest you forget, Dean fucks. <laughs> so here's the thing with Dean. They've kind of now painted in my mind that he's kind of like a goobery flirter who thinks he's a ladies' man. Yeah. But in this, he's just like, yeah, like an ogler. And I don't know, it just doesn't, it feels really out of place. Yeah. Well, he's also, like, I literally have the note written down, like, how does he ever get laid? Like, this is pretty privilege at its finest. Like, yeah. no one would have sex with him if he was talking like that constantly. Like, I feel like in real life, he would have to never open his mouth and say words. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, you are very attractive. Never say anything. Yeah, literally. <laughs> like, that whole um, bit about being a maverick or whatever. Oh, man. Cringe town. Fucking no, kill like, me. Also, it makes my nethers crawl in themselves every time they, like, name themselves after ACDC characters. I don't know, are, like, <laughs> not characters, like, band members. I'm just like, stop! It's not clever. They're just, they're just dorks. I don't know what to tell you. They're, they're just goofy little guys. It just, it feels like a joke sometimes, like, that we're in on, but it makes me feel like the writing team isn't, like, they actually think it's cool and it makes me cringe. I don't know. I I think the writers are in on the joke as well. I feel like we're all joking about it together. Like maybe the only person who takes it seriously is Dean. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm just gonna start thinking that way. Just put your mind at ease. Yeah. Uh I remember uh this is tangent, but I promise I'll tie back in to how how does this person ever fuck. <laughs> Um, I, I remember part of the reason in filming The Graduate why they did not cast Robert Redford. Uh, the story goes that the director, Mike Nichols, was like, have you ever struck out with a girl in your life, Robert? <laughs> and and Robert's like, what do you mean? 100% serious, like doesn't compute, like what what is striking out? Like doesn't know it. Um, it's kind of that energy. That's what the first thing that I thought of when I saw him just acting like a clown. Like no person would would ever right. like approach someone with game of this sort. It's just like this is a person who's never struck out. You only are this confident if you've always gotten a number or right. such. On that alone, I was like fine, and I went with it. But when she like is like, well, I never, I never say yes on the first night or whatever. What kind of respecting person would I be? And he's still leaning in. I'm like, who are you? Right. <laughs> who are you? Who are you still pushing? No, this? yeah. But I guess persistence pays off or whatever by the end. I, I guess, know. yeah. But I don't know. I can't really say that I'm any better. I would give Jensen Ackles my phone number. I have no shame. He's <laughs> very pretty. <laughs> He is he's very pretty. He, and and like n not that the episode did him favors of being charming, but he is he is very uh, attractive, yeah. yeah. Like what are you what are you going to do? Well, well, all right. I guess this is how it is. <laughs> like if any kind of uncomfortable flirting attempt was made, I'd be like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. But I don't understand, I guess, why that attitude is kept up for so long with, like, him. I don't know. Because it is, he is sort of doing a bit. It's not like he's really genuine with the bartender, Jamie, until after, like, half of the episode is already done. We do see that in other episodes, too. Like, he's way more of a clown until he's forced to be genuine, essentially. But I don't like that. <laughs> no, same. At this point, I'm just, like, tired of it. I'm like, stop. 
I can kind of forgive it because we're so early in the series, but like, I better, I really hope I see flirt, like, growth in his flirting game and like how he like talks to women because it just, it does come off kind of, I don't know, like entitled and gross. I don't like it. Jordan, the only way I could see it being in character is if he truly is a virgin again, because that's how a fucking virgin would, would flirt. <laughs> yeah. be like, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the coolest in the room, and I just, I have the biggest dick energy, and I, therefore I can like call you a bar wench and you'll like it. And instead of just like, you know, a, a person who has been around the bend uh-huh. a few times and like understands how to like feel the the vibe of a situation maybe that's also why both of us just immediately were kind of or all of us actually are just pretty tired of it is because it's like he's not even reading the vibe right he's not like paying attention (laughs) at all and like it's crazy to me that like sam is like i don't think women appreciate being called wenches and i'm like you know i can honestly see context for that to be said in a joking way because i think that he's kind of joking a little bit when he says that because it's like Oktoberfest or whatever but I would never talk to like a customer service worker like that I guess is the bigger thing to me even like I'm just like she's fucking working like leave her alone (laughs) like I feel like (laughs) people who hit on like wait staff and like any kind of front facing retail anything they're just trying to make it through the fucking day dude like you're not special. I don't know. I'm probably just being some kind of way right now because I work front-facing retail bullshit. I don't know. We're getting real hung up on this thing. I think it's pretty clear we're not pleased with it. So I want to <laughs> pull us back to talking about the scene with the sheriff when they're looking at the body. Sheriff Dietrich, I think. Yeah. Wow. Look at you. Did you write down his name? I did for once. Wow, I didn't. I love this, like, subtle fuck cops moment. They've definitely had bigger fuck cops moments, but, like, literally when he's just worried about tourist season and Sam was like, okay, well, she's fucking dead, so. (laughs) Yeah. I'm like, thank God someone is, like, telling this idiot to shut up. Ironically, because Sam is always the one where we question whether he's evil or not, he does always, like, seem to be the one that's most concerned about the victims. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like in the episode a few episodes ago, where they kind of just left the demon bar, Sam was the one who was like, shouldn't we take care of that? And Dean's like, nah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Also, there's something very special to me about this phrase that is uttered in this scene. Satan-worshipping Anne Rice reading gothic psycho vampire wannabe. (laughs) I'm like, wow, me in high school? Also, so specific. (laughs) It's funny that the the sheriff to me ends up in, in Anne Rice mindset. When uh, the more the episode progresses, it's 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 clearly like a like we talked about more of an Edward RKO. Yeah. There's more of a classic nature to it. Like, that's why the parts that did work for me, like, every time a, a survivor witness, which there are a lot of witnesses, not not the typical experience I've noticed in these shows where you have tons of witnesses. Mm-hmm. The witnesses are all blabbergasted by, like, how spot-on and right. tropey 
<laughs> the portrayals are even like i feel that's the closest i connect with like sam and dean across the episode is their shared doubts or disillusionment with the case once they realize that it's pretty much some type of nerd <laughs> not like uh <laughs> not a uh, a threat or a a creature of violence right or whatnot. to them it's it's just some cosplay right which I think I think does help for the later act. Oh yeah, definitely. In, in the early portion, I felt it was uh, one of the few things that that kept me kept me laughing right. and going. Overall, I, I'm gonna try and stay positive, but overall, I just no, did not like dude, connect with this episode. If things fucking annoyed you or you didn't like them, like please say so. Like we're not trying to only be positive here. Yeah, yeah, but I'll say I'll save my my true negativity for for the later. Right, portion. right, right. Yeah, and I totally agree with you. The witnesses were great. I loved the thing about the big drinks. Like, both of them have these huge drinks. I'm, like, obsessed with Ed and his, like, huge fucking beer stein. <laughs> yeah. His Dracula impression is, like, incredible to me. <laughs> I just love how, like, obtuse you have to be to, like, have someone ask you, like, can you describe the assailant? And you say, oh, he was a vampire. <laughs> I don't know it's just so absurd and just to continue being like you know a vampire (laughs) maybe I also connect with that really hard because I have trouble re-explaining myself if I already have an idea in my head and also there's something inherently funny about calling a vampire a Dracula yeah (laughs) I don't I will never know like what like why the fuck is that so funny I don't know but it is I think if I ever met Ed, I would either really like Ed or really hate Ed, and there would be no (laughs) middle ground. It's hard to say. I tend to dislike men, just in general, so that's already a point. I guess I should specify straight men, but still. Do you remember, Jordan, in a previous episode when you were like, why is Dean giving me some gender vibes right now? Yeah. And I was like, don't even fucking get me started. <laughs> Don't even fucking get me started, Jordan. Rehymenated? Just saying. FTM Dean strikes again. <laughs> Wait, repeat the rehymenated line to me? You don't remember that? No. So he's like talking about all his like scars and like weird, badly healed, like broken fingers and like everything are all completely healed um, since he was resurrected. And that quote leads him to believe, sadly, that his virginity is intact. And Sam is like, what the fuck are you talking about? And he says, I have been rehymenated. Yeah, that's very bizarre. Also something I would probably say, so I can't judge it too harshly. (laughs) Yeah, you're out here talking about bussies all the time. Like, I feel like this is very in line with something you would say. You gotta own what you got. There you go. I'm glad that Dean is nice and virginal for his angel friend. Well, apparently it's just for this bar wench. Oh, God, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, there's some weird notions about sexuality going on in this episode. Between, like, all of that and, like, whatever the fuck is going on with Jamie. Like, whatever her deal is. And then, like, this dude, Rick, who gets mauled by the werewolf talking about backed up semen like this i feel like is like those old movies where they're talking about you know beware of young men because all they want to do is you know have sex or whatever it reminds me like weirdly of like 
anti-marijuana movies and stuff. It's just so cartoonish is what I'm getting at. You know what I mean? Is this making any sense? They pull from more of a, a, a visceral scare to like anything that could be like a emotional or sexual expression. When you said like the drug enforcement kind of PSAs, especially, yeah. they all prey on that that fear of like, what if you felt something good? Right. And like this this episode, two two degrees, yeah, kind of like traffics in that in that a bit. Well, it's like uh, moralizing is what I'm yeah, trying moralizing. to say. Like that's it. That's it. Yeah, like it feels like it's making fun of that kind of moralizing type propaganda. So I'm very excited when that guy gets torn to pieces after saying weird stuff about needing to, like, drain semen or whatever. Like, that was a weird thing to have in a contemporary episode. I don't know. It's not even funny to me. It's just so foreign. Yeah, this whole episode feels like a fucking fever dream. (laughs) Like, it's so bizarre. Ben Edlund, what's going on in your noggin? But yeah, once again... Her just like oh yeah it was a wolf man when they talked to her i loved her she's not even that worried about like her boyfriend getting she gave me like that thing. real bimbo vibes it just was a lot of fun it was just like she literally saw her yeah. boyfriend get like eviscerated and good because he was being like kind of smarmy and she warned him but then she was like yeah <sighs> slurping on her little drink <laughs> It was a werewolf, like so sure of herself, and just she doesn't give a shit. No, I love that for her. Bimbo positive over here. Absolutely. I think like the mummy one was my favorite death. Personally, I enjoy like the clash of like the old school movie stuff and contemporary technology put together. Like it's just really absurd and i enjoy it Uh, yeah especially when like the fun thing about the morgue and this mummy scene too was with the vampire bites like how perfectly simple like it was just two little bites right and you know it's really outside of this realm of vampires and then into the werewolf where you know it was just not this werewolf the heart wasn't removed then into like finding the dry ice and the mummy sarcophagus after us physically seeing like it was this like old movie mummy i thought that was a like a fun touch definitely an escalation of absurdity my favorite line in the whole episode happens here where sam is just like looking around after dean shows him this tiny like dry ice bucket and he just goes this is stupid (laughs) (laughs) and i was like wow i can't believe this is a line of dialogue in this episode (laughs) like i agree with you oh i did want to talk about um has it been determined that only silver bullets kill shapeshifters up until this point um not just bullets but just like silver stuff in general just silver but they're immune immune to normal bullets right yeah okay good to know good to know yeah why well he just like unloaded in the mummy and i was like that's not a mummy I'm, I'm over here checking facts. I'm watching Supernatural through a close lens. I'm looking for these plot holes. I'm going to oh, be that unfun mean, person. you mean the security guard? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We got to comply. We got to, you know, we got our established lore. We got our rules. We got to keep, keep with them, which is hilarious to me because I feel like the shapeshifter breaks all of the shapeshifter rules that are established. Yeah. That was, it's just very strange. What did we think of the first interaction between Dean and the and the shapeshifter? Because of course it's Dean. Dean is always put with the shapeshifters. I actually 
this is probably like my favorite part of the whole episode. I think I it's really love... fun. It is so fun. Everything about it. Him being pulled into this narrative now is like John Harker. Of course, we're gonna put Dean as Dracula's like boyfriend. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. It was just fun and it was campy. It was also really fun to see like Dean really fail at flirting in yeah. front of this girl. And then when he thought he was going to win, like press her by like kicking Dracula's ass, he gets like knocked out. <laughs> There's just something really funny to me about him interacting with like Dracula, Dracula. Yeah. I don't know. It's like Oktoberfest. It just feels funny inherently, like a way that I can't really put my finger on. I also really like earlier about like how cool you think he like turns into a bat and then like seeing him drive off on a moped (laughs) it's like no dracula doesn't turn into a bat he rides a moped oh of course he's european (laughs) yeah that was interesting though i think it's cool to have like just to, to talk about the concept of this monster for a second Dracula, like as in Bram Stoker's, was a shapeshifter. Like he did lizard stuff. He could turn into wolf and bug and bats and all kinds of crap. So it makes sense to me that they would have a shapeshifter be Dracula. And like, yeah, the shifter obviously did other monsters, but identified the most with Dracula. So yeah, Dracula, of course, being the gayest of them as well. The most homoerotic and the most horny of all of, all of the classic monsters. That mummy was pretty fruity. <laughs> Those riz. So here's kind of like the thing with this episode. Whenever the Dracula the shapeshifter is in it, I'm having a lot of fun. And these scenes are very compelling. When we're outside of that, I'm just not as into yeah i i mean i don't even know that i would say that necessarily because there's the extended scene like the conversation between jamie and the dracula oh i did hate that i hate that scene i don't know i feel like when they try and break down the persona it stops being interesting to me which is not what i want like i i feel like that's the opposite of like of dean right and Dean is yeah. the one that's always being related to the shapeshifter. When he's, like, doing a bit or, like, a persona or whatever, I hate it. I'm like, oh, go away. Like, it's so annoying. But, like, here, I don't want to know what's going on in, like, the mind of this person. And I, I say this person because it's unclear what their gender is. Yeah. Yeah. Which is another thing about shapeshifting, which gives me even more brain rot about transgender readings of Dean, by the way. But anyway. That kind of brings us into our next... So we go to the bar here. And that's when we he has the ear of Dracula. So that's when he, we find out that that's a, a shapeshifter. I think this is actually a really good time to talk about the lesbian monster. And like yeah. that whole idea. Pretty much anything after the, the bar scene. I kind of I kind of wondered what the intention was versus the execution. Which is something I always ask when I think something is yeah. going wrong or not. Yeah. Living up to its potential. Um, and I think the, the problem with this one is that I think either way it sucks. <laughs> I think the, the thing that immediately sticks out to me is uh, we want the villain to be quirky, which is why we have a scene where he can't remember to drop the act for just paying for fucking pizza that he has to eat because he is still somewhat right. human enough that he orders pizza for the sake of a, a comedic scene, which for me dragged and fell flat uh, the moment it started. I didn't laugh once during that 
interchange. Even the payoff with the coupon, I'm like, okay, this is, this is a hat right. on a hat on a hat, and it sucks. And I think that pretty much is encapsulating why I think the shapeshifter stuff just pretty much falls flat for me entirely. Like, I think as a device and as a character, like, you are putting too many hats on this hat because you want it to fit this yeah. kind of RKO cinema thing. And it's coming from a background as, like, I, I appreciate Ed Brewer for the comedy of having him just, like, playing music without any pants on in the middle of a, a, a cinema. Because um, I've known a lot of projectionists, and that's, like, not even as weird as a lot of projectionists are. I mean, think <laughs> about it. Like, you spend most of your... As, as, exempting the older ones who are, like, industry pros who I've worked with on festivals. Like, the younger ones tend to have a lot of quirks since they have to sit in a dark room uh for essentially the most painstaking takeoff and landing right the only two parts of the the process that really require explicit attention everything else is just like how you spend that time and it, right. it makes sense to me that he would spend that time dicking around <laughs> but when sam points gun at him i think his reaction is also a bit off most people who are like confronted by a random gunman don't have the reaction of just like being embarrassed that they were caught with their pants down literally they would be like this guy's gonna fucking kill me and i think that's also another reason why this this like later half of the episode doesn't work for me comedically i think all of the more camp elements start to fall apart at this point and what i'm left with is again like the questions of intention versus execution i guess one thing that i was curious for about the your experiences is like when we have uh, the moment that, that Dean wakes up, like, chained to the thing, it's very Frankenstein or, like, Bride of Frankenstein, yeah. like, RKO-style Bela Lugosi. There's even references right. to Bela Lugosi that the, the character spits out as, like, inspiration. That, that time period or, like, that section of, of uh, filmmaking, uh, that, that kind of monster movie background, they were supposed to be shocking, but they couldn't be shocking in traditional ways. They couldn't, like, curse, for example, which is, I think, why the... The, the Dracula character, the shapeshifter, I don't know how to call, I'm just going to say Dracula shapeshifter because I don't think they get really a name, do they? No. Uh, that character is like, you shouldn't curse. Right. It's like, yeah, this is what you grew up on. But like, if you've grown up on that, then you would also like delight in the, the hammy ways to go at your victims. And I didn't really get that so much as like a, a, a nerd in this case, or like a person who wants you to feel sorry for their status. And that doesn't really track with any of the campness, again, of the episode. Right. It's, or even like the sequence with the pizza guy. It, it's just totally a different episode. Right. And it doesn't right. even really fit for me within the confines of RKO. And I think that's strongly why I couldn't, uh, as much as like the last episode kind of left me hanging a bit, or just otherwise like uh, I felt uh, disappointed in some of its choices, this one overall feels like. It, it, this is going to sound like the cliche, but I think this episode considers its audience stupid. And I kind of want to say, fuck you, because I am not stupid. Yeah. I'm a good writer. And so are a lot of the people who listen and watch your show. And I think you're insulting them with this kind of... Essentially, I wouldn't even go to like the punch-up stage. I would have them rewrite the whole second uh, half of the episode. Okay, so that kind of leads me into what I was going to talk about earlier. Ed is obviously supposed to be a red herring. Right. And like something that's like kind of gross to me is like how he shows up and he's like in his underwear and we're like, oh, Ed's a creepy pervert who likes to parade in costume and like steal women and murder people. And it's kind of like, at that point, I'm like, fine, like, yeah, men can be gross perverts, but it's like then how he's used as a red herring to instead villainize 
we you talked about briefly like how we don't actually know the gender of the shapeshifter because we find out that it's really um lucy so at that point no it's either a man who is pretending to be a woman who is to get close to this person that he's in love with which is like a trope that's like as old as time and very transphobic and gross right but then we also do have the lesbian vampire thing that's very offensive and i really yeah it's it's like it's like the predatory lesbian like she's saying like oh those men are so gross like spend all your time with me but actually like she wants to get into jamie's pants too and here's something that's kind of interesting about like that whole trope um i actually follow someone on tiktok i really wish i remembered her name but she's a gay woman and her whole channel is dedicated to reviewing every single lesbian vampire sexploitation film that has come out and the sheer amount of content that she has to work with was so baffling to me that this was such like a big thing oh yeah like it's absolutely insane yeah it's wild yeah they kind of like lost me with that at that point i was just very grossed out right and i think like there's again weird questions of like transness here because like he or she or they or whatever you know remark upon picking like the form of an actress that they liked and that was lucy well when it comes to the the shape-shifting elements one thing that i I was wondering if either of you would touch on yes uh we have we have dean like strapped to the table and and sam does rescue him so like eventually he he is set free but during the time that he sat at sat at that table he's getting monologue uh, almost to death by the Dracula Lucy shapeshifter. And during that monologue, there's like a revealing of like, oh, you have like, a, I have like a childhood abuse right. back and they tried to kill me with a shovel. And I'm like, all right, so we're gonna, we're gonna go there. We're gonna actually go there with like the transcoded character tried to be fucking murdered by their parents. And we're gonna like kind of hang that as like a, a hat on, right. well, this is why this character has such a tortured life or like why they have crossed the moral event horizon of like wish fulfillment cosplay into a, a thing, into becoming like a killer. <laughs> Wish fulfillment cosplays of like Dracula. I want to be specific. Dracula, not wish film. I'm not calling the trans experience a. W- yeah. You know what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When it comes to like their obsession with the old movie archetypes and actresses and actors, it, it's presented as I want to be a part of that, uh, subsumed into that because that was the place like the monsters is where I found my reflection and home. And I think again, that's that's also insulting to the work of Ed Wood, which used outsiders again, right. like Bela Lugosi was an outsider literally as an an immigrant who did not speak the English language uh, when he started first acting. Likewise, like the focus on on the every syllable mattering and like the scripts came from the fact that like Ed Wood had to like uh, adapt to his English language skills as he was becoming as a director. Like the precision of his work mattered in that regard. And I would say that like, it's not an accident that there is like a Lucy Dracula kind of cohabitation here when you look at Edward's filmography, like Glenn or Glenda, right. um, which is a much more romantic and tender portrayal of a cross-dressing person. Right. Edward himself, his wife, uh, went on to talk about Edward's long-standing 
cross-dressing and obsession with it and how like that was something that she always found endearing it's like the the real life story is way more touching and could be like developed more fully as inspirational material right. uh, but, but when i'm watching the second half of the episode all i'm thinking is so do they they want me to feel for this like tortured soul that sucks and do they want me to like literally accept how stupid this is like i can't get over i guess personally how dumb it wants me to be and participate in it's like mediocrity I can get over something being camp right. or being over the top or reaching in a direction that maybe it's reached too far. Maybe it hasn't quite built the, the, the scaffolding or whatnot to, to get to that moment. Like if, if the moment itself is rooted in like an emotional truth or something that is a gag or a payoff, like an ending doesn't have to be like an epilogue. It can be a punchline too. And I'm fine with that being the case. But in this episode, it's not either of them. Again, it's like intention or execution. Right. It's more of a flimsy hand-waving excuse so that they can get to the finale that they want. Right. Which again, did not pay off for me. I was like, of course we're going to have the lady in the white dress right of course she's going to pull the trigger and it won't be sam or dean because at what point of this episode right. would it be sam or dean like they're not heroic figures in this no. episode neither of them are and they're they're literally slacking <laughs> off why would the slacking off characters get the moment but for her to have that moment she has to have some type of connection to the dracula lucy shapeshifter person other than like oh my coworker. right right like there's there's too little of a connection between them for yeah. us, the audience, to get to for me to give a fuck. And I think the episode's overconfidence that this is going to work was another reason I was like counting the minutes. Right. Uh, well, I think even Jamie, when she shoots Dracula and he's doing his dying speech or whatever, she like cringes. She's like, like, what the fuck? Yeah, it's just it's just a nerd. Like that's the only part of it that like actually resonates. It's like, wow, this person's an annoying nerd. I'm glad she blew him away. Right. And that shouldn't be the ending of your episode if you've built it up as like a tribute to these old movies. Like right. these old movies and I get like they're skewering and playing with the black and white tropes, but these old movies had those uh, hard emotional highs and lows for a right. reason. And if you're not even parodying them, you're just putting it on as makeup, which is what this episode is. Right. I guess in that sense, it is successful if all it wants to do is cosplay as the thing without any of the greater meaning. I feel bad saying it because I know Dead in the Water is like pretty much my bugs, but it reminds me of the whole um like environmental theme in Dead in the Water where it just like they had this the thing that wasn't thought out enough. We just kind of have this like unfinished thought that's kind of looming over this whole episode and there's not enough there for us to finish it for them so it just really fails yeah no i totally get that i i think like that's why the first half is fine and the second half like completely falls apart because they're like shit we have to use this to like make some kind of point or like say or do anything <laughs> but instead it just like wobbles its way through the plot of Dracula badly. No, that's true. If I want a smartly written, gender-driven horror story with camp elements, I'll watch Tatan for the 18th time. I will not <laughs> bother with this episode ever again. 
I do think it's great that it is in black and white. I do think it's great that uh, they wanted to play, like, go big and broad in this episode, especially after how serious the last episode was. But I just think its right. second half is just not even mediocre. It's obnoxious. It's, uh, exactly. It's obnoxious. Yeah. It's obnoxious, yeah. and it, it wants you to think that its obnoxious behavior is cute. And uh, right. I think that it's in itself, it's like, so you think I'm stupid then? You, won't, you think I'm dumb enough right. to think that this is cute? And I don't. So. No, totally. And, like, to talk for a second about, like, some of the weird ways that it talks about gender, like, this guy is essentially, like, or gal, whatever, is literally, like, fucking Norman Bates. Yeah. Yeah. This, it's literally, it's that transphobic. And, like, the, the, like, story is essentially the same. Like, oh, my parent abused me and I'm fixated on that. And, therefore, I'm using my transness to attack people. I'm like, wow. Like, <laughs> like, shut the fuck up. And at no point do we have the skill set. It is another black and white movie, Psycho. At no point do we have the skill set of, like, an Alfred Hitchcock, right? No. We don't have, like, a, a a decoy protagonist at the start of the film. There's nothing right. underneath. Again, it assumes you're stupid. Yeah, there is there is nothing underneath. It's just completely surface level. And it leans very heavily on themes introduced in other episodes to, like, try and fill that space in a way that is frustrating and, I think, unfulfilling. Like, there's that whole scene um, between Dean and Jamie at the bar, to back up a little bit, where they're, like, having the so monsters are real talk. And he's going on about, like, you know, I used to think it sucked, but now it's, like, a mission from God or whatever. And I'm like... This feels really insincere. Like, I'm not sure how I'm supposed to even take that. Like, everything that we know about how he feels is from other episodes. You know what I mean? Like, none of yeah. what he is saying feels like it is new or revelatory. You know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And it, like, on top of that, weirdly, runs counter to everything that like we've learned about him as a person up until this point like like when did he suddenly decide that he was on a mission from god you know like i feel like just the past episode he was still being like skeptical about angels and heaven and god and whatever even as he was sort of lecturing sam about it and now this is here in the middle of this crazy ass fever dream episode that is transphobic and insulting. Yeah, I just like, besides it being black and white and referencing things that make us feel good, like old horror movies, yeah. the second half of this episode genuinely has nothing going for it. There's some slapstick humor that I appreciated. Yeah, that's true. Like with with the uh, like the sets and everything being flimsy. Oh, like when he like threw Sam like freaking 10 feet. Yeah, through the wall, and it, like, crumbled, because it was just, like, foam. Yeah. <laughs> like, like that's funny. But you're always going to get me with a slapstick joke, you know? I think um, one of the only things I liked about this episode's second half is thinking about how the shapeshifter wants this sort of predetermined and, like, scripted out romance with Jamie and how that reflects like what Dean is also after like yeah, rather yeah. than genuine connection just like something like easy that he knows how to do I'm trying to think of other things I just feel like <laughs> like just keep ragging on it if I don't change the subject I think it's okay to just rag on it 
Yeah, yeah, that's fair. It's not like I. Yeah. At the end of the episode, Sam and Dean briefly have a riff about what movies they would want to see instead of horror movies, and they say Porky's Two. Now, as someone who's seen both Porky's and Porky's Two, I can say that Porky's Two is not only the worst of the two, but it's probably worse than like even some of the worst trauma films. Trauma films tend to be so bad they're good, or like in the camp area, like Toxic Avenger. Mm-hmm. Porky's Two is like beyond the boundary lines of like a over the line sex comedy. It it's more of what we were talking about in the second half of this episode uh transphobia for the sake of it rape for the sake of it just stuff that would they wouldn't put in the first one because they knew it would be like too much for the audiences right and they're just like what if we did this in the second one so like porky's 2 being name dropped kind of is like one of those uh accidental artistic master touches because like oh a piece of shit recognizes another piece of shit so it's like <laughs> i don't know i think uh I, I think uh, if anyone has like positive opinions of Perkins too, you're, you're welcome to them. But I, I think that movie is uh, irredeemable. But I'm also not one to be on my high horse because I think Showgirls is amazing. So I love Showgirls. <laughs> With Porky's too. I think the only thing, good thing about the Porky's franchise is it has Kim Cattrall in it. I don't even think she's in two. Yeah, she's not oh, in two. Yes, there we go. No redeemable qualities. And I just have to wonder, like, what did they want us to understand about Dean from them saying that, that he has terrible taste? Um, I just don't understand. Yeah. Like, I don't get it. I guess it. he was really horny when he was in high school. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's, that's the plot of Porky's. Porky's <laughs> 2 is, is that, but it's also, what if we recruited the Ku Klux Klan to be our backers in this stage play where uh, we get a seminal Indian to kiss a white girl? Yeah, there's a lot of por- racism in Porky's 2 in addition to the aforementioned rape and right. transphobia. Ooh. So right. I'm like, I kind of think trans, I, I think like it's shout out to Porky's 2 makes sense in that it's a piece of shit, and irredeemably <laughs> so. I'm not spoiling Porky's 2 for you because none of you should see it. Yeah, like literally don't watch this. I. I just, it baffles me that they chose to reference this here. Like, I get stuck on it, like, as a, as a, like, what are you trying to say by bringing it up? You know, I'm just, what? Huh? I don't know, I think, like, straight up dropping the name of a film, especially in reference to a character, is actually a pretty big deal. And, like, context of your show, like, that's wetting us yeah. into the window of their mind. And Porky's 2, not right. only, nothing to do with this show as a whole, or Dean as a character, you're right it makes literally no fucking sense this whole episode makes no fucking sense it's so strange it is i feel like you know that line about porky's too it's like someone like sat on a fucking whoopee cushion like at the end yeah yes you know yes a throwaway a throwaway joke about a movie that has a cultural memory that no one has yeah it's it's it is a whoopee cushion it's a throwaway joke if they wanted to be more precise in their in their joke about like that kind of comedy, I think they should have gone with literally anything else. Showgirls would have been better. In fact, I, I'll say that they should just say. Well, if they Showgirls. wanted like a raunchy '80s sex film, like couldn't they have said like what's the frat house one with a uh, animal Jim house? Animal house. There you go. Animal house done. But, I mean, it's yeah, it's perfect because it also has its. Oh, animal house is terrible. And, yeah, no, it's awful, awful. misogynist yeah. crap. But I, I feel like that's not how it lives in the cultural memory as a yeah. whole. So, yeah. like, referencing it does something else. But what... I don't know. I don't even know. I, I'm getting stuck on this fucking Porky's cute <laughs> thing. And it just... It just it, again, it baffles me. The last thing I want to mention about this episode is just that I can't believe how fun the costuming could yeah. have been. 
So, like, the later Hosen thing, I fucking love that. But then they literally have, like, the female characters in, like, these, like, a slutty milkmaid Halloween costumes that they literally got from, like, the spirit literally. Halloween or whatever. <laughs> and, like, what drives me nuts is, like, the white dress. Oh, my God. Yeah. They have to have the fucking white dress, of course. Of course. But, like, did they have to pick, like, the ugliest white dress they could find and also one that didn't? I'm like, if you're gonna make, if you're gonna put this much effort in having a black and white monster movie referential show, and this is season four, like, we have a budget now, like, literally recreate one of Mina's dresses in one of the Dracula movies. Right, they look like they got, like, a discounted, like, homecoming dress. Like, they went to Macy's, and they went to, like, the clearance section. (laughs) Like, what is that halter top v-neck monstrosity with the bedazzled underboot? Like, give me Winona Ryder's wedding dress and, like, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Like, give me something crazy. Yeah, I don't, I don't get it. Like, there's, yeah. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. The the way the monster got defeated, too, the last thing, when she literally was just pretty much like, see a nerd and shoot some. And it just all makes no sense. Right, right. It, it, like kills its own joke by making her not care that she's killing her friend yeah i don't know like she's not even hurt really that it was never her friend i it's just very bizarre i don't know i don't know uh i don't even want to talk about it anymore (laughs) (laughs) want to talk about the fan fiction let's do it okay so this week i didn't pick a fic related to the episode i picked one related to the season there's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of different season four alternate universe fanfics. And this one was written by a friend of mine. It's called Contingency. It's by AO3 user Cheerful Shinigami. And I actually edited this. Me and her worked on this week to week. Every week she wrote mm-hmm. a new chapter. I gave her extensive feedback on it and she revised it and posted it every week from the second week of July into the second week of November of 2021. This is a labor of love. Uh, The summary is, two months after Dean is dragged to hell, he crawls out of his own grave with a mysterious handprint branded to his shoulder. A strange being named Castiel claims that he pulled Dean early to stop the literal apocalypse. Uh, Now Dean must figure out a way to derail the divine destinies of him and his brothers so they can stop Lilith. Uh, Yes. Sorry, I uh, realize there's a lot of very spoilery things in that summary. I don't want to, like, <laughs> mess with Jordan's fresh, clean slate, no exposure for the most part watch. But yeah, essentially, this is like a, a consensual possession story. So the idea is that actually Castiel was already in hell instead of going to hell to get Dane and pulled them both out and possessed his body. So then... This cast has more information on everything that's going on with the apocalypse and is like, I'm just going to nip this in the bud, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> this is rated E. There's really only one ship going on as Destiel. Other characters include Sam, Bobby, Ruby, Lilith, Anna, Alistair, Pamela Barnes, and some original characters as well as some other angel characters. There's a lot of additional tags. I'm not going to read all of them, but it's an AU of season four. It's from Dean's point of view. Parental Bobby Singer, alternate angel lore, angst and romance. Dean has powers. Bisexual Dean, canon typical violent, slow burn, 
Castiel and Sam Winchester friendship, mutual pining, Bobby Singer's panic room. Oh, here's all the sex ones. Perfect. Gay sex, non-penetrative sex. Uh, uh, oh, that's not about sex. Uh, sorry. Post-traumatic stress disorder. <laughs> I hope it's not about sex anyway. Uh, two minds, one body. Two dudes, same dick. There we go. Fluff and humor. Emotional hurt comfort. Sex in our Omni Impala. Mind sex. Light Dom sub. Idiots in love. Witch Sam Winchester. Anna Milton ships Destiel. Declarations of love. 1518 and finale feels done right. Angst with a happy ending. And this one is pretty long. It's 123,096 words. And this did manage to get a, above 10k hits. I was very pleased with that. Wow. It really makes me excited to get back to the plot of season four. <laughs> right? Yeah, I wish I could talk a little bit more about the story here. But I don't want to like... <laughs> I don't want to spoil you. There's some, like, crazy, like, having sex inside of the mind palace, like, psychically, and, like, weird angelic true forms, and, like, all kinds of stuff. All of the things that I like to see in my supernatural fanfiction. Nothing like some mind dimension Enochian sex prism (laughs) shit. Why not? I'm here for it. Why not? Why not? Okay. Thank you. Time to read the episode. Oh, it now is. Now that we've had a blast that is that and time. some space. <laughs> Jordan, what do you think? This is a really hard one to rate because there are things I like about it. It just really, it's like a really pretty balloon that pops as soon as you touch it. So I'm just going to have to give it a one. I have to be honest. Wow. It's getting a one for atmosphere, but then it's losing a point for characterization um discrimination right <laughs> confusization <laughs> is that a word <laughs> and one point because i said so so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. one out of five uh disembodied shapeshifter ears oh yeah what about you ben uh this gets a one i can't i can't even be nice like the last episode this one gets a one it gets a one because it's one more reason that you should watch any of the films that we discussed prior instead of it and not <laughs> you should watch eight and a half everyone should watch eight and a half actually that's my recommendation i give it a one one more reason for you to watch eight and a half tonight watch something that'll fill you with joy and entertainment and everything that this episode did not incredible i'm gonna give it a, a little better rating i don't know i got down to get goggles and anytime dean does anything i'm like oh look at him go so i'm gonna give this a two out of five predatory lesbian (laughs) well nice well i guess that just leaves my predictions um what next jordan i have no fucking clue jesus christ this episode left me with nothing (laughs) well okay we still know what's going on in the overarching story there's that at the very least Okay, we got to get back to the seals. I'm ready for these seals. Why could there not have been a seal in this episode? Why could there not have been a seal that made everything black and white? I don't need to talk about that right now. That's not why you're here. But No, but I love that, though. (laughs) Like, what if they were like, yeah, we're going to fucking ignore the apocalypse. Let's do a simple, you know, black and white case. And then it turns out it was actually one of the seals or whatever. Yeah, like a seal that warps time around or something. There's so much they could have done. Like, transport them actually into the silent film era. Oh, that would have been cool. 
But yeah, yeah, literally anything besides this episode. Anything. <laughs> so I think they're going to come across the seal. I'm going to say the seal is going to be some kind of demon and that Castiel is going to come and actually have advice for how to navigate defeating the seal. So we're going to kind of get Castiel in more of a role that we would typically see Bobby in is uh-huh. what I'm guessing. Um, I would also like, I don't know if this is going to happen. This is more of a hope. Dean and Castiel are building kind of a relationship since Sam is working with Ruby. I would like to see Sam maybe not so ready to accept everything Castiel says. Maybe a little bit of headbutting going on there. I think that would be fun, but that's pretty much all I got for you. Well, sick. I'm excited to see whether or not that happens. Who knows? Who knows with this show? (laughs) (laughs) Really? Thanks for tuning in to On the Road with Supernatural. Our theme music was composed by Anthony Ployhart, and special thanks to Sophia London for our logo. If you're having fun, hit us up on Tumblr, Instagram, or Twitter at OTR Supernatural, or contact us by email at ontheroadwithsupernatural at gmail.com with any questions or feedback. That's all for today. See you next time in Rockridge, Colorado. Bye. Bye. Bye.